Bible study, but tonight it's just it's the Lord's night. What the Lord wants to do. We want God to have his way, yes. We want the Lord to speak in this house and I want us to have ourselves ready to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. And uh, this friend of mine, this great man of God, minister, evangelist, him and his wife, they're not strangers here, they're family here, and and he'll be back Sunday at 11 and 12, so we're, we're just like God's building towards some great things, but I believe he's got a word for us tonight. So as we get ready to receive the word of God, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Brother Green, come, come on now and just give us what the Lord gave you. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. This has been burning in my spirit for a while now. In fact, the same hour that we scheduled to be here this Wednesday night, the Holy Ghost put this on my heart, so I'm very excited to deliver this. And um, what a privilege it is of ours, my wife and I, to be with our friends. We love the Waldens very much, and um, we give them high honor today. And you are tremendously blessed that God give you gifts so wonderful, so special gifts of pastor and first lady. And so thank them as much as you can. Just heap honor upon them where honor is due and just uh, let them know how glad we are that God has been so good to us as a church and shown rack favor and blessing and we get the opportunity to all fellowship together. Amen. All of our friends, we love you. Can't wait to hug your neck and see you. Hey, Sister Schmelz, we're good to see you all the way from northern Canada somewhere. Almost. Love you and your husband. Greet him for me. Amen. I'm looking at John chapter 9. And I think that I have mentioned to you before, John is an individual of revelation. It's why he was chosen to write the revelation of Jesus Christ, the last book in our New Testament, because he has a gifting in his life of able to receive revelation and then share revelation. So anytime that I'm looking in the Gospel of John or his epistles, his three epistles or revelation, I'm looking for what is God using John to reveal to me? And I love revelation. Because what it is, is God being enlightened to me. I'm getting to know more about Him. I'm getting to understand more about His ways. And any chance I get for revelation, I want true revelation. And I'm preaching today about revelation journey. A journey of revelation. Revelation journey. I'm not going to read all of John 9, but I will be preaching from all 41 verses. So let me just read the first verse of John chapter 9, verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. Revelation journey. God bless you. You may be seated. I think it's significant here that the scripture begins to tell us with the first starting notice of this particular miracle, this man, this story, this journey, 
is that we are told that he was blind, but not just blind, blind from birth. That gives us the understanding that he has never seen. He didn't lose his eyesight as a child from sickness or disease. There wasn't some accident that happened to him as he was growing up that took his eyesight. From the moment he was birthed from his mama's womb, he was blind. He had never been able to see. This man has no preconceived ideas of what sight or anything would look like. He also has no visual memory of perhaps what something would look like in his brain as all of us who see have visual memory. But in parallel, he's not clouded by tradition of what everybody has expected sight to be. Thank you, bro. He's not clouded by the upbringings or the visions that have been handed down in traditions to him. So there's a parallel also of one that gets a brand new start in vision or revelation because he has never had anything to add to it or to bring to it. So he gets a brand new opportunity for undefiled, pure vision. And as we began to be introduced to this man, the disciples immediately began to speak about a traditional thought and ideology of the Jews of that time. And they asked Jesus, why was this man sick? Why was he born blind? How come he has been this way? And they gave the two reasons that in tradition that would be the only reason for him to be born blind. The first one would be the sins of the parents. And this tradition comes from a biblical truth that there are sins of the father visited upon the children to the third and fourth generation. So this tradition became that an individual born blind, obviously it was the sins of his parents or grandparents to the fourth generation. And the other reason that they asked him was, did you look into his life as his creator and see that he would be such a man of sin that you judged him even pre-birth? Did you see that he would be such a sinner that you caused him to have this blindness? Or was it his parents' sin that caused him to be blind? And Jesus speaks very emphatically, neither or neither. It's not that this man had sin in his past or sin that would be in his future. But the reason why this man has an affliction is for the glory of God to be made manifest in his life. If no one is ever blind, how are we going to know that God can open the blinded eyes? I have often preached about the miracles that I have been privileged to see. And twice in our ministry, twice in our ministry, we have seen the dead resurrected. And we celebrate it and we love it and we talk about it. But when I begin to ask who wants to see a resurrection, most hands go up. Who wants to volunteer to be resurrected? But the only way for a resurrection to happen is truly for there to be some individual that passes away so that we can pray the prayer of resurrection, the will of God. 
So there must be sickness in order for the demonstration manifested power of God to happen. This is why we need to take advantage of even the upbringings that we have had. The generational curses that might be upon our life. Whatever we have gone and come with in our life from the moment of our birth or even before know that God still turns ashes into beauty. He still turns mourning into joy. He still takes blind and opens eyes. He sets at liberty those that are bruised and he finds those that are lost. In order for these miracles to happen, there has to be ashes and mourning and blindness and bruise and lost and handicapped and destroyed and dysfunctionality and victims. But this is not a punishment to your life. It's for the glory of God to be made manifest. It's for the glory of God to be made manifest in your life. Jesus now begins to speak here in chapter 9 seemingly some things that seem out of place with the story and what's happening. For he begins to declare that I must do the works, Jesus said, of him that sent me. He has come from heaven. God in flesh at Bethlehem's manger. And now that he is 30 years of age or so, he must be about his father's business. He has to be about the work of the kingdom, the spiritual work from which he is brought. And then he begins to declare that every man has only a window of opportunity to do what he can do. (coughs) That a man can work while it is light. The dark comes, the night comes when no man can work. And it puts strong emphasis that the works that Jesus is doing, in particular in context of this man born blind, is something he is driven to do, something he is sent to do by the Father. I am sent. In fact, this statement sent is very important in this passage. We'll see that Jesus speaks of being sent, and then we'll see that the very Siloam pool where he is sent to, the blind man is sent to, actually means sent. So if all of the pools and all of the rivers and all of the places where he could have washed, it's very important to know that he was sent to Siloam, which means sent. So this is a very important point. That is being made here in John 9. Everyone that is sent of God has a window of opportunity to do the will and to do the purpose of God. And we must be about the master's business. Who knows how much longer or how much shorter we have in these last days. We must be about the master's business. And then Jesus said that light, he is coming to the world. I am light unto the world, he declares. I looked up again a story that I heard preached years ago. And it has stuck in my memory all these years. About a Harvard testing and a Harvard um, speculation that went through with certain professors. They were studying how the mind helps the optical system of man. And so they took kittens, and I hope this doesn't destroy, Annabeth, too many of your sensitivities here. They took kittens. Kittens are born with their eyes shut. 
And it takes them several days till they open their eyes because the light coming through the lenses of their shut lids is part of the process of them being able to see. If you take a kitten when it is first born and pry its eyes open, the system is halted and it will be blind. But they decided to do something different, to try to understand the mind and how the optic system works. They sutured or they closed or taped the eyes of the kittens shut. So when they normally would open their eyes, they couldn't open them because they were closed shut. And then after a couple of weeks, they let the eyes be open of these kittens to find out to their surprise and now to thesis that they would write that the kittens were blind. That the timing of their opportunity to have vision, the timing of the revelation was a short window of opportunity that God brought forth the plan for man and for animals to have certain optic systems develop. And God knows exactly how long the eyes should be shut and how long the eyes should be open and when it should happen. And we realize there is a moment of opportunity if we are not getting the vision when God has prepared us for the vision, if we're not receiving the revelation, then there is a chance that we might never have the revelation, that we might never receive the vision. And now that Jesus has said so, put such emphasis that he is the light of the world, that he must do the work of him that has sent him. He begins to do a healing for this man, and he spits on the ground and makes clay of the spittle and smears it. That word anointing means smears it in the eyes of the blind man with the clay. So here's one that has never seen. He needs to get his eyes open so that he can see. And so there is a spittle. And again, anytime spit is used in the scripture, it's a typology of shame or judgment or punishment. It's a picture here of an individual that needs to bow themselves in submission to God and repentance for mistakes and failures of their life. And now a spitball mixed with the dust and the dirt and the clay of the ground is being smeared in his eyes. And Jesus speaks to him very specifically. Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Go wash where scent is. I am sending you. I am speaking to you. I am directing your life. This is a time of revelation. You've never seen what you're going to see. So be sent to this place of revelation. This journey of sight, vision, light, coming into your lives is absolutely a typology of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That we were blind and now we can see. That we have been brought into this marvelous light. That God has done a work for us. And we who were spiritually dead have been made alive, spiritually blind, now can see. I want you to see the journey that he takes. That he is now blind and has specific directions go to Siloam. So he has mud on his face. A big disgrace. Somebody said banner all over the place. I know more than I do. 
And he's got to suffer, as it were, people ridiculing, perhaps, the way he looks. For sure, them staring at him, although he does not know that unless they tell him. He's got this mud all over his face. But he can't just sneak to Siloam. He's blind. If he's going to make it to the place of his sight, he has got to depend on somebody else. Somebody that knows how to get there. Thank God for people that knew how to pray for us. People that knew how to repent. People that had already buried themselves and knew how to tell us about Jesus' name, baptism. Thank God for people who received the Holy Ghost and can pray for us and lead us and guide us. He has to, with mud on his face, shame in his life, ask individuals, perhaps stumbling over things that he can't see, bumping into stuff he can't see. He's very dependent on somebody else to keep him from making mistakes and to lead him to the right place, trusting that they will do him right, trusting that they know where to take him, trusting that he will be led to Siloam. And now he is made his way surely with the help of others to this pool of Siloam. And this is probably, according to what we see in archaeology today, at least two stories down that he has to go in order to get into this pool to wash. And so now he begins to wash his eyes. The mud that has been smeared upon his face. And the scripture says that now he can see. He can see. There must have been a restoration miracle that happened for him. His visual memories must have instantly been healed as well. For he seems to have no problem moving around and understanding what people look like and trees look like and buildings look like. He seems to have had a miracle of restoration as well. And now he wants to rejoice with this bringing out of darkness into this marvelous light. He's got to tell somebody what the Lord has done for him and the first people that seem to notice are his neighbors people around him when his circumstances change notice something's different about you you're not the same person that was there begging blind something has happened And when they began to ask him what has happened, what is different, he finds his testimony. And in verse 11, he begins to say, A man that is called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and washed. And I went and washed and I received my sight. I can see. This is the miracle that has happened for me. I want you to notice that already he has emitted a couple of things from his testimony. He didn't tell them the gross part of it. Well, the mud in my eyes came from spit. That Jesus had spit on the ground and mixed with a little mud ball and put in my eyes. He leaves that out and he has nothing to say either about the journey of being blind, trying to go someplace that he has been sent. 
He does speak about the clay. He talks about getting to Siloam and washing. He talks about all of these things which are a beautiful parallel of washing and repentance and baptism in Jesus' name through the film of the Holy Ghost turning away from sin. But when he tells his testimony to those that he saw him every day and lived with him every day, neighbors, they don't believe his testimony. They don't believe his report. Seemingly, they think he's lying or he's confused or perhaps he's duped. You have been brainwashed. We do not believe your story. And they say if this truly happened, where is this Jesus? Show him to us that has done this miracle. It becomes such a problem, a disturbance in that particular city that they bring him before the Pharisees. This is the religious leaders of the day. And it is time for the religious people to judge or examine this particular situation. And when the religious people see him, they ask for his testimony. Tell your testimony again Tell me again just how it happened. Tell me again how things went. And he leaves out even more of his testimony. This is something that happens to us. When we begin to talk about what God has done for us, how our life has changed, how we are not the same people we used to be, instantly when we meet people that don't believe us, we want to shape our testimony. Differently, So we'll say something that will click with them instead of speaking it exactly like it happened. And so now when he tells his testimony to the believe or to the religious people of the day, all he says is this man put clay in my eyes. I washed and I do see. He's taken out an awful lot of the testimony. He is feeling more rejected, rejected by neighbors, and now rejected by the church world, if you will. Pharisees, religious people, did not receive his testimony because it came against their vain traditions and cultures. He did these miracles on the Sabbath. By the way, Jesus was a Sabbath day miracle worker. You know, with all the trouble he found, you think he'd just go out on Wednesday and do that stuff. He did it on the Sabbath on purpose. Because the religious people of the day needed to be shook up that something wasn't right. Miracles are happening and it doesn't fit in with their tradition. Need to wake up and realize. So now they are maybe accusing him. You're part of a cult. Because all of us religious people don't believe in that. We believe in the Trinity. Most of us don't believe in holiness and separation from the world. So you're just part of a group that is brainwashing you. You're a cult. And the religious people of his day did not believe him. Jews, the Jews, which is his people now, beyond his neighbors, beyond the religious people. The Jews demand of this man born blind, who is the man that you claim healed you? 
His answers are so limited by his experience. Understand that he has never seen Jesus. He has a limited experience with who this is. And so in his limited experience, he says, a prophet? He doesn't know who Jesus is. The Jews do not believe him. Even his own race, even his own people do not believe him. And they began to ask him again of his testimony. The neighbors didn't believe him. The religious leaders didn't believe him. Even his own people, his own race, his own nation didn't believe him. And now they begin to call his family. Get your mom and dad. We'll ask them because we know how to put pressure on family members. If you don't think family members get pressure about your testimony and about your witness, yes, they do. And so we see that they have pressure on the parents. And now we see that this man has been asked, this time by proxy, four times your testimony. And they haven't believed him yet. The parents are afraid of the pressure that's being put on them by religious people in particular, that if we side with him, if we believe his testimony, they'll kick him out of our own church. So all they can say is, well, he's our son. But we don't know what happened to him. All we can see is what you do. He used to go to these places, and now he doesn't. He used to act this way, and now he doesn't. He used to be into drugs and alcohol, and now he doesn't. He used to have a life of immorality, and now all I can tell you is that this is our son, but he's not the way he used to be. And then they divert attention by saying he's of age. It's not our responsibility to testify for him. Ask him yourself. And now he has to tell the testimony, what I count a fifth time. And he changes a few details. The pressure is, don't say it was Jesus, because the neighbors and religious leaders, Jews and any family members, don't want to accept your testimony of who he is. Just give God praise, they say. We don't know who this man was that did this for you. We don't know anything about that church at Raqqa. We don't know anything about that pastor wall. Just say that it was God that did it for you and just come be a part of what we are doing. Take what you've received and come back here to where we are comfortable where we live. And now his testimony is even more limited as he says well I don't know if he's a prophet I don't know if he's a sinner like you say he is all I know is once I was blind but now I see I think that we have traditionally shouted over this and I think that statement is a statement to shout because it cannot be denied all I know is I was blind and now I see But in context here, you've got to see the place of desperation that he has moved into. And now he has told his testimony a sixth time. He's trying to shred the last bit of his testimony. And he's saying, I I don't know everything that you're telling me. I don't know everything about this. I'm not as smart as perhaps you are in this area. All I can tell you is that I've had an experience that is life-changing. And I'm not the same way I used to be. Rejected by neighbors, not just his testimony, but his life, his lifestyle, who he is. Rejected by religious leaders, rejected by the Jews, his own people, rejected by his family. And believe me, that is tough. 
Rejection has no place to rejoice for what God has done. Turns the joy of a life changed into a question, into dismay, into hopelessness, into turmoil. The argument of the man being born blind says things that separate himself from everyone else, right or wrong. And now he makes statements that are out of his hurt and anger. Why are you asking me to say my testimony a sixth time? Is it because you really want to be his disciples? And if he's a sinner like you say he is, we know that God doesn't hear the prayers of sinners, but we've never heard of any miracle of man born blind from birth receiving his sight. So if you don't know who this is, what does that say about you as a religious person? These are truths, but probably not wise to speak this way. But it's out of his hurt, it's out of his confusion, and out of a rejection that has come against him. And so finally, they cast him out. And from what we see here, the casting out is not just you can't be part of our church, not just you can't be part of our neighborhood, the neighbors, but they actually gave him a question mark or an X mark that he's really not a Jew with them. And he definitely is not even their son anymore. He is cast out. And Jesus, this whole time, has not showed up. But nice, you would think, for Jesus to step up when he has to deal with the religious leaders, or the neighbors, or the family. But Jesus waits. The scripture is very specific that he waited until the entire process happened and finally he receives the ultimate rejection. They have cast him out. Then Jesus shows up. And he speaks to the man. After all of his belief, love, and acceptance of what he thought was stable, he thought his neighbors loved him. Thought he was accepted by his group of church people. He thought for sure his race, his nation, the Jews loved him. And he probably depended very strongly upon his family's love, acceptance. And now that all of that is gone, Jesus shows up with this question. Do you believe in the Son of God? What a question. Do you believe in the Son of God? But the answer has to be tied into his experience. After everything else has rejected you, family, friends, neighbors, nation, do you still have faith that what happened to you was a supernatural move of God? Can you still say that you have faith and belief in the Son of God? Can you still declare that even though nobody believes me, nobody will accept my testimony, I still know that I've been changed. There has been a touch of God in my life. And the answer for this man comes out of confusion when he says, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus speaks of him of old experiences and new experiences. 
when he says, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with you. He said, You remember when I spoke to you? Go to Siloam. You heard me then, and you knew something in you stirred when I called you, when I sent you. When you got your miracle, you knew something happened. And so now that you have new vision and new revelation, understand what I'm speaking to you. What you're hearing is exactly what you're seeing. So what you're hearing will teach your vision. This is revelation. (coughs) So he responds to the Lord and begins to say, I believe. And the scripture says that he worshiped him. And Jesus makes an interesting statement. And we're all the way down to verse 39. And Jesus said, For judgment I'm coming to this world, that they would see not might see, and that they would see might be made blind. He started this chapter with saying, I've got to be about my father's business. And now he ends the chapter by defining, after you've seen this entire story, That the reason what I've got to do is bring judgment. That when I bring a miracle to you, people are being judged by whether or not they believe your miracle. And you're being judged by whether or not you have faith through all the rejection. For judgment have I come into the world that they would see, not might see. That's you. And that they which think they see might be made blind. Those that reject the revelation and the faith. Eyes sewed shut. They'll stay blind. I have had reason to see this passage afresh. And walking through some circumstance and situations with not only my life, but my wife's family situation. We have seen this afresh. Yes, I was raised in the church, and got the Holy Ghost at five years of age, and baptized a couple of years after that, and slept under pews when I was way too old to sleep under the pews. The whole apostolic Pentecostal raising, second or third generation according to how you count it. My mom and grandma got in the church at the same time. And so I have grown up with acceptance from at least my immediate family of my beliefs and my faiths. But I've also grown up with a world that doesn't like my modesty. It convicts them. With a world that doesn't like my standards of holiness, it convicts them. With a world that doesn't accept the born-again message of John 3 fulfilled in Acts 2, Because it convicts them. With a religious world that wants to put me off as a cult. Because they don't want to pursue revelation. And so I have been raised feeling this all my life. Raised dealing with this. But then recently, family members that actually witness and testified to my wife when she was 15 and 16, coming out of the nominal world, that helped pray her through the Holy Ghost. And they were ministers. No, they were pastors in fellowship with us 
we watched them in the past couple of years walk away from truth. And it's amazing how I see this so clear. That all of a sudden when they walk away, we're the ones that have been mean to them. We're the ones that have left them and not called them and not talked to them. And and these are very close family members. I've watched people in our family begin to make decisions that are extremely hurtful. And I have questioned God why these things would happen in particular. Why must we go through these things? But this is the journey that brings revelation. Because as second, third, fourth generation, you're depending on the generation before to tell you who Jesus is. Please hear me. We who've been raised in this know all the Sunday school stories. We know Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. We could quote Acts 2.38 when we were three years old. Our parents made sure. We preached in pulpits made up of boxes when we were four and five and we preached the word of God and they took pictures of it and laughed about it. Oh, he's so anointed already. Sang when we were two years old. Played the piano. A prodigy. When we were just children. This is all we knew. And the truth of the matter is that's not true Christianity according to the Bible. Because every individual has to have a personal walk with God. And God will make sure that even if you're second, third, if you're five or six generation Pentecostal, you've got to have a personal experience for yourself. And beyond your personal experience, you've got to have a personal relationship. You have to know Him and pursue Him. And what? And it does not matter how many generations of Pentecost or apostolic you might tie your name to, God is going to make sure that it's not just a tradition be different than any other tradition that we can point to. But it has to be something that is personal. It has to be something that you are experiencing. It has to be something that you are walking in. You cannot be in this kingdom hanging on to your mama's skirts. It won't work. God will send enough opportunities of rejection in your life until finally he'll come and say, well, nation didn't believe in you. Religious world didn't believe in you. Family rejected you. Do you believe in the Son of God? And you're going to have to walk away, if so be, mother, father, sister, brother, and say, I know what happened in my life. And I can marry the experience to the Word of God perfectly. So I believe. Unless you go through this process, I, I truly believe that you're not a true worshiper. 
Because you're speaking things to someone you really don't know. That when everything else is boiled down and all rejections have happened, you still believe. You still have faith. And if your mom and dad walked away, if your brother and sister walked away, you'd still be here because you believe. And if you have that kind of belief, then you can worship. Then I've watched my wife's testimony, and she could tell this much better than you. As we began to pursue the things of God, married now with children, calling on our life in just the first few months that we started evangelizing, tragedy happens in her family. Father with a disease that had been a long time in taking his life, and we loved him so much is now going to breathe his last breaths and to call the family in. And we're in Wisconsin preaching revival and we load up the kids. It's 2 o'clock in the morning when we start this journey to try to get to South Georgia where he's at. Only to get the notice on the way there that the oldest brother had fallen asleep in his car had run under a tractor trailer and took his life. And we've been evangelizing a couple of months. Now tragedy has come to her family. And her family was such a stable force in her life no rejection there but we've watched it come full circle until family members have walked away but I can tell you even for those who have never had the heritage of second third fourth generation God will make sure that you walk through every every one of these types of rejection Because he wants to know, is it you or is it just you married into it? Is it you or is it just pressure from this friend or that? Do you believe in the Son of God? When I realize that this is what mankind needs, to honestly stand in a place where I can speak now of true belief and I can have true worship, then I'm all right, God. Bring the rejection. I don't care what they say. That's all right as my family members go some other way. If that's what it takes until everything I have relied on and depended on has now rejected, if that's where I need to be, in order for revelation to come, then send me down that revelation journey so that I can truly have faith in you and I can be a true worshiper. It's the hardest thing to watch family members Leave. Maybe not even leave the gospel. Just leave your vision. Just leave your testimony. Don't believe in your vision and testimony. It's the hardest thing for friends, people that you grew up with, people that you worship and praised with and prayed through. It's the hardest thing. 
until everything that you would lean on is pulled out from under you. Only then will Jesus come to you in a revelation journey and say, okay, do you believe in the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God? Do you believe in what has happened in your life? The change, the new creature in Christ Jesus. The anointing, the calling of God, the walk with God. Then you can answer in truth. Not depending on my parents. This isn't what I heard from my neighbors. This is what I just swept up with because everybody else was doing it. I believe if nobody else, I believe in Jesus. I believe in this word because I went down to an altar and asked him to forgive me. Repentance. Because I went to that watery baptism and they called on the name of Jesus over me and washed away my sins. Because I lifted up my hand with tears flowing down my face. I spoke with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. And because I have experienced it, even though nobody else might understand my testimony, I believe. Because your word and my personal experience agree. If you recently have gone through perceived or real rejection from somebody in this world, somebody in this nation. Perhaps it's happened to you on Facebook or social media. And you have stood on the platform of what you believe and you have taken such ridicule. I I want you to stand all across this place. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Because social media right now has become a place of intolerance for anything godly and a tolerance for everything evil. If you have had some kind of situation with religious people, maybe you were testifying, you were talking to them about what God has done for you, or you were telling them, please stay standing, you were telling them what God did for you, somebody religious, some organization, some church group that came against you, would you, would you also stand? Some of you are standing already. I'm standing for all of these, by the way. It's happened personally. If you've had, even perhaps in the church, a rejection that is hard for you not to take personal because someone doesn't believe in the vision, what you are living and what you are believing, won't you stand with those that are already standing? And then if your life you've had to face family members that don't accept your testimony, would you stand? That's almost everybody in the place. Because this is the journey of revelation. And every one of us that God loves so much, He went to Calvary's Hill to die for us. He'll also love us so much that He'll let us go through this journey. He'll let us go through this journey. 
Because it's not enough just to have an experience of being at Siloam and having our eyes open and speak in tongues and be baptized. It's not enough just to have ourselves brought out of darkness into this marvelous light. He wants to know, do you truly believe? And if you get to a place where you truly believe, then you can truly worship. All those that have stood across this place, I'm inviting everybody to stand. I want you from the depths of your faith, your belief in God and who He is, regardless of all the rejects, I want you to lift up both your hands and worship Him because you believe in Him. You believe in His presence. You believe in His Spirit. You believe in His touch. You believe in what God has done for you. That's it. Let your testimony right now express your faith. Give yourself to your testimony. That's it. Let it express your faith. Ha ha ha. All right, here's my altar call. Those here that would do it all over again, that you'd face the rejection of family, the rejection of the religious world, rejection of your nation, rejection. If you do it all over again to get to know him a little more, I'm, I'm going to ask you to make a step of declaration and just come stand in this altar. You'd go through it all again. If you get home today and there's phone calls of rejection, you'd do it all again. Just come stand. Don't lift your voice yet. Just come stand. Shelby. Why? For the glory of God to be made manifest in your life. That's why. Don't focus on the mistakes of your past or the mistakes of generation. No, it's the reason, overriding reason is for the glory of God. To be made manifest in your life. For you will stand before groups of people who are broken, who are confused, who have gone through terrible things, and your testimony will be a light unto them of who Jesus is and what's to be in their life. You can reach people that others can never reach because your church.
Jessica, I sense that there's been fresh, I don't know anything, but I feel like there's been fresh rejection. You have been so faithful to speak to your family. You've been so faithful to reach for them. We've rejoiced in some miracles that have happened, but I feel like just a fresh rejection. Your testimony, your witness, the revival in your family's not over, girl. Every time you pick that jar up and pray for prodigals all over this world, God has put memorial prayers up in heaven for your family. I love you too much not to say this, Pastor First Lady. You have felt the spirit of rejection, whether perceived or real. I'm not worried about that. That the vision God has given you, some don't want to be a part of. That's okay. I'm not saying right or wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But God allows this to come to our lives. Because there's a greater dimension. I feel this prophetically. There's a greater dimension of revelation. You're going to be a better preacher than you've ever been, Pastor. You're going to be a better worshiper (laughs) than you've ever been, Pastor and First Lady. You're going to be a better communicator of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the journey of revelation has come. friends, your friends, your wife, good. I always ask friends because I don't want to assume and there'd be uncomfortableness. How long have you been married? One year. And I don't know which one, but now that you're one flesh, one of you's had tremendous hurt in church. Maybe there was mistakes made, but there, there was such rejection. There, there was no forgiveness. There was just rejection, and there was pain that was brought to you. And while we have to forgive and all that stuff, we know that we need to do. I think Revelation is trying to come to you that this is what God is trying to bring to your mind and to your spirit. In reality, He's trying to draw you closer. He has chosen you because He wants you to be closer to Him. I know I'm not supposed to say this, but let me be general. I feel like I need to say it, Pastor. Forgive me. I've recently been at a meeting where over 100 people, 300 people received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Where over 100 was baptized in Jesus' name, and I have taken more flack because of that than what I ever have in my life. And people that I have preached for, 
and people that I have prayed in the altar with, and people that I, my brother and my sister. But I know it's driving me to my knees to make sure. I want to know Him. I want to know His ways. I don't want to be fooled. I don't want to miss. I don't want to be a part of this or that. I want to know Him. And if I can believe and have faith, then I can worship. I worship you, Jesus. You are God. You are God. You are my Savior. I worship you. You are my salvation. I worship you. You are my great physician. I know and believe and have faith. I worship you. You're my friend. You'll never leave, never forsake. My heavenly, you're my heavenly father. Come on, let that worship flow. I'm getting out of the mic. I want to pray for people in the altar outside of the microphone. Come on, if you're a worshiper, if you believe, then be a worshiper. If you believe, be a worshiper. <laughs> there is healing happening in your worship. Whoo, there is healing happening in your worship. Your healer is here to give you strength. He's here to take the sharpness off that rejection. Come on, worship Him. He is your God. He is your friend. He will never leave you. Ministry, would you help us? Find somebody to pray for. There's somebody here that needs a refreshing of the Holy Ghost. Somebody in here needs a ha 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 Come on, let gifts of the Spirit operate. We're going to get them out of the microphone. Let gifts of the Spirit flow in this house. Jesus.
portion when there wasn't enough. And I'll testify of the seas that we crossed. The waters you To the rock of ages 
Sickness 
can't stay. 